Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey, everybody. This is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Welcome to the Invested Podcast where I do know what we talk about here. We do <laughs> we do talk for the last seven years about trying to invest like the best investor in the world, Warren Buffett, and um, his sidekick, Charlie Munger, and the rulers who have been following those guys. We call them rulers because Warren says there's only one rule of investing, and that's rule number one. Don't lose money. Don't We've lose talked about money. that quite a lot. Indeed. Don't lose money. Indeed. And um, man, I lost some money. What do you mean? Yeah, I lost some money. I hate it. Should we like stop recording and you tell me this offline? No. Tell me online then. Yeah. Tell all well, of our millions I, of listeners. I did, well, I did all this work on Alibaba, right? Yeah. And then we sold it. You did you know all this why? work on Alibaba and then, you, wait, where's the buying no, part? So you bought we it. Bought, we bought it <clears throat> and then we sold it. And the Quickly. reason we sold it, yeah, it was terrible. I didn't want to sell it. We had it at a good price. It's still at a good price. But we we're talking about risks last time. And yeah, what we faced with this thing is the risk, like people are concerned about what China was going to do. You know, they have a totalitarian government and um, they sort of could do whatever they want to do, really. I mean, they, it's not a democracy. Mm -hmm. So um, the risk there is that thought to be about Alibaba that you have to overcome is whether the Chinese government is going to continue to have a capitalistic side, continue to you know push forward free enterprise, or whether they're just going to nationalize everything down the road. Yeah. Definitely. Right. That is the gigantic conversation around Chinese companies. Yep. And so, you know, I read the biographies, I read you know, study, 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 study. And he came to the conclusion that it's very unlikely that they would back away from what they were doing um, the last 20 years. So we got comfortable with China and mm -hmm. kind of encouraged about China and kind of excited about China and kind of thinking, wow, China's really coming into its own in the world. And, um, Ray Dalio has written extensively about how China is inevitably going to push back on American uh, sort of empire that sits out in the Pacific and goes all the way, you know, Guam, Philippines, mm -hmm. that whole thing, Japan, you know, South Korea. He's just kind of all right on the edge of China as a result of World War II and Korea and Vietnam. Um, just all these wars America has been in. And, you know, I think Dali would say it's inevitable that China pushes back on that and starts to influence. And then you have one, one, one way you can go, one or two ways. You can, as an America, you can push back and get into a hot war uh, with a power that's growing and will, will go to war. And, and uh, 
And that's traditionally what happens is that these two empire, one coming up and one coming down in terms of power and influence, clash in a very violent battle and the world suffers for it. It's possible, um, yeah. Yep, so that's one way it could go. And then the other way it could go is that the power that is declining recognizes the power that's coming up and tries to partner with them and make for a peaceful transition and share power in the world the way Great Britain and America did. Mm -hmm. So there, you can go a couple different ways. And it's it just depends on whether you want to be friends or not. And America has chosen to push back on China in, in some pretty harsh ways. And um, the result is the potential for a shooting war over Taiwan right now. And we don't know if that's going to happen. What we do know is if anything like that does happen, we saw with what happened in Ukraine that the American government ah. stepped in and crushed the Russian stock investments. Got where you're going with this. Okay. Overnight. Yeah. Literally overnight, things went to zero. And so we do not want that to happen to us. We, we thought the problem was going to be China. It's not going to be China. It's going to be America. Our own government is going to be the one that creates the real problem for investing in Chinese stocks. And this is so frustrating because the SEC has had kind of a, a hit list of Chinese stocks out there for years now, warning them they're going to delist them if they don't go through the American-approved audit of its auditors mm -hmm. and the Chinese government has pushed back and said, you don't have any control over who audits our auditors over here, you know, so back off. And so to be clear, these are not companies listed directly on a U.S. stock exchange. They're listed in China and thus. No, they're actually listed on the U.S. stock exchange as, as uh, usually VIEs, which is a kind of a strange bird that was invented um, by yeah. somebody who wanted to buy Chinese stocks and was not being allowed to because China won't let American investors buy their stocks directly. Right, and those companies Chinese are markets. not actually listed on U.S. stock exchanges. They're like you're not buying their actual stock right. when you buy those. When you buy Baba, yeah, you know, Alibaba or Tencent, you're not buying the actual stock. What you're buying is um, an ownership of a strange corporation that's headquartered in the Caymans. And you own the net income and all the net assets. You own all of that stuff because the company has pledged it all to this VIE version of VIE, itself. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um, this is to get around the Chinese regulations that said you can't have an American investor. Yeah. And so this is why a U.S. regulator would have, this is why the Chinese government is saying you have no jurisdiction over a Chinese yeah. company listed on a Chinese stock exchange, not a U.S. stock exchange. And so basically like bug off. Yeah. And in fact, I mean, really, I'm not quite sure how they just how the U.S. justifies this sort of intrusion into Chinese affairs. I mean, imagine if China said, no, you have to use our edit, our auditor to audit um, all of your CPA companies. I mean, that's what this argument's about. It's the auditor of the auditors. It's not even, <laughs> okay. it's not even a, a problem with the auditors. It's the problem with the auditor of the auditors. And they don't have one that the SEC trusts. And so, and they've had so many Chinese companies turn out to be frauds that were listed in the United States. Yeah. We're talking like a dozen of them or something. So I kind of get it why they would do that. 
But they've now just recently, last week or two, come to an agreement of sorts. They're saying that they're they're going to soothe this over. So here we are. Wait, say that one more time. They're, they the SEC and the Chinese government have come to some form of compromise. Oh, interesting. Over this issue, it hasn't. This is news to me. Clear Tell me about what it is. I oh. don't know yet. I just saw that it basically a news lead that said, yeah, it looks like they're going to compromise. Yeah, so well, you were definitive. saying, like, I don't know why China even entertains this, but the reason is obvious. It's the incredible economic power that U.S. investors hold. So China sort of doesn't want American investment, but totally does. Totally and does. everybody understands that dichotomy and mm. the double-facedness that's happening here. So that's why China's trying to work it out without sounding like they're giving anything away. Well, as a result of this, I, I took what I thought was a six inch bar, which was, you know, we, we our team went over to China and really studied Alibaba and JD and hmm. uh, JD.com and, and really liked them and just felt like, yeah, we, we really understand these companies well enough to invest. And, and now, now it's like, ah, except for that, except for this, what we've, classically called legislative risk, which is government mm -hmm. risk, government coming in out of the blue and blowing you up. And mm -hmm. that happens out there. So I got caught in a risk that I didn't really see. I thought I, I thought I was studying the government risk, but I was studying the wrong one. I should have been studying the American government's reactions to war, which can be very, very intense. Okay. So hold on a second. Are. There's my risk. I need a slight backup here. Hmm. So you started this out saying I lost money on Alibaba mm -hmm. and I'm super mm -hmm. bummed about it. Mm -hmm. You bought at a certain price. Mm -hmm. You have now sold due to discovering just to lead into our theme that we've been doing, discovering that your inversion, uh, what would you say, like had not was been... incomplete. Was incomplete. Okay, good. Or or not even that it was incomplete, because I think you probably did what you could with the information you had at the time, but then new information came out. So as you tell me, constantly the mm -hmm. story changed <laughs> and you created a new inversion yep. with the new that's, information, that's right. which is exactly what you have been teaching me to do over yep. and over and over. Yes. So then you sold this stock at a loss. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. That's right. Okay. Yep. And you did so because you did not want to have your money in that story anymore. That's right. true. That's it. This does 100%. not sound to me like an I'm bummed. I lost money situation. I have to say this <laughs> sounds to me like, Perfect, follow the rules, investing. Oh, it is it is perfect in the sense of textbook. Yeah. But the textbooks never tell you what it feels like. They don't, but that's that's the torture of the yeah. investing practice is that we are not computers, we're not the textbook. And it's really hard to make the textbook decision, it's actually not that hard to make the textbook decision. Often the decision is very clear. <laughs> it's hard to carry it out. <laughs> mm. Yeah, you have to be pretty, pretty 
cold-blooded you have to, to be uh, pretty cold-blooded yeah to not to not fall back on hope and and wishing yeah which are not part of rule one investing and have as as a result of really learning this well i think i i can count these kinds of losses over a 40-year period on like one hand and they well, don't happen very often just to just to get a further learning out of this so <laughs> what I imagine a lot of people would do, certainly what I would feel very inclined to do, is say to myself, good job, self. I have followed my strategy. I have rewritten my story, rewritten my inversion. Don't like this company anymore. Too risky. Awesome. Decision made. Now, when do I sell? Do mm. I wait for the price to go up? Because I mm. bet you the price is going to go up at some point. People are so excited. Charlie Munger bought it, but then maybe sold it. And I don't know what's happening, and it's probably going to go up, and I'll just wait because now I've made my decision, mm -hmm. but I would rather not lose money, mm -hmm. and it'll probably go up. Mm -hmm. So did you have any of those thoughts? And corollary question, how long did it take between decision made and pressing the sell button pretty short period of time and no i really didn't entertain that that uh alternative strategy which is to hope it will go up uh, <laughs> I think and that's actually a stretch could, to call it a strategy <laughs> you could you could make a case for it i mean you you did i mean there is a good chance that the rest of the world won't see this the way i'm seeing it and you know they will continue to buy baba and especially now that the SEC looks like it's kind of backing away. Um, so it like, very likely, of course, none of those things were known at the time. Mm -hmm. So my, my discipline is that when the story changes, then investment must change and, and do it now. It's do like you, around. So it's, what does that mean? Like you sold it within the next hour? I mean, you probably had yeah, to take a little, a like few that. days to unload. Yeah, I think it it was had, a decision but... to sell it. And yeah, it took a little time to get out of the position. Okay. But it was time to exit, and, and so we exited. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. And that's, that discipline has come from another situation where one could take the same point of view that, oh, we've discovered this flaw and now we should get out and we won't because we think this will go back up and it goes yeah. to zero. Yeah. So that's, you know, taking wait, 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 wait. say that again. So on, hmm. on uh, Horsehead, which is what you're obviously talking about. Yeah. Um, had, had you I had that flaw, decision? No, uh -uh. I didn't think I so. Exited. Yeah. Had I just speculative? If I had seen the flaw that was there, oh, I got you. Nose, okay. I would have, and then had stayed in anyway, hoping for a moment to exit when I went up. Yeah. There was no moment. It it never did. It just gradually went down. And so that, you know, I, I guess probably with Baba, it, Baba is a very different situation in that I'm seeing risk 
that most investment managers are not seeing. They're staying in it, obviously, quite a, quite a large number of them. Mm-hmm. And so there is a good probability that that company would go back up sometime from the low position where I sold it. And, um, and so perhaps if I'm learning something from just talking with you about this, it might have been more, might have been reasonable to hang in there. Oh, okay, I now I have to. I was not I actually I making a real argument. With, okay, I was, but I don't. I don't think it's a good idea. I think it just I requires that you hope, and I hate yeah. the idea of hoping. I was describing it as a fallacy that I yeah. would be would sort of automatically be subjected to by my own feelings slash brain slash optimism, but. I didn't think you would actually take it seriously. <laughs> it's that it, it, it's not me, a it good hurts, choice, right? Like it if hurts you that badly to lose money, it really does. When it really hurts, and it is, it hurts really badly when you've done all the work and the work says yeah. this is a great company, and they're so you know it's particularly in this market, it's been so difficult to find great companies that are on sale. So now is that's why. You, you're human. I mean, I'm human. I, honest, I honestly have to entertain this notion that oh shoot, I may have could have done. I maybe could have done that better, and not taken a permanent loss of capital. And then I just think, no, don't, don't go to a strategy of hope. Yeah. That that's not a good idea. Um, really, not a good idea. It's so not a good better. idea because sometimes it works and that reinforces the wrong behaviors oh, and man, sometimes it doesn't. And, and you it, don't hear about those. Right. And as you always say, rule number one is don't lose money because those it doesn't works, <laughs> those quote it doesn't work times mm-hmm. can sink you, uh, can go to zero of, like you just, just said. Just of this guy... I don't know if we've ever talked about this, you and me, but um, one of our students who got kind of deep into the options world and really loved doing rel- relatively low-risk options trades um, put, you know, I think $10,000 into a relatively low-risk options trade, and it went bad, as they will mm. do. You, you're going to have trades that go bad. Mm. Um and exiting that should have cost him no more than $3,000 if he followed the rules. Mm. But his emotions got a hold of him, and he just started to hope that this stock should turn around. It should have, right? Um, it was definitely worth more than the current price. So it should have turned around. And instead of taking the loss, he hung in there and got himself in a position where the entire $10,000 was going to be lost. And so he called and just was like, I'm, he was literally crying to your uncle and just saying, I, I, I really don't know what to do. And Jeff just told him, look, there's nothing you can do. Just learn the lesson and be glad it wasn't worse. The guy got off that phone call and went on to do um, the really terrible thing, which was to not just double down, but to, what is it when you multiply your risk by five, whatever that number is? It's not quadruple, it's the next Quintuple. One Quintuple. So in order to escape from this negative 10,000, he quintupled his risk to 50,000 and changed the options trade. Oh, God. Now he's got 50,000. 
the market in this this stock is like going when down. they ask you those qualifying surveys when you open an options account like this <laughs> is why <laughs> this is why right so now he's got 50,000 at risk and it keeps going down against him as often happens and he did it again quintupled again now it's 250,000 at risk what yeah and and wait a second so he has that kind of money in available in his investing account whatever no, he took the money from his daughter's college account okay i have no words I <laughs> yeah feel so I know. uncomfortable right now this is this is what happens when people get desperate and emotional um i mean if if ten thousand is going to be a terrible loss well that's what i was going to say if he had 250 like you know okay you lose 10 you you move on oh yeah so here's here's what here's the, the, what happened next is the market turned around and he got out of the trade without losing any money he got all of it back wow right thank the good lord on behalf of his child yeah not on behalf okay. of his investing practice no and here's here's the next thing that happened as happens when you have one of these things this guy was so euphoric over his great strategy oh god of avoiding this loss that he wrote this up and put it out on a major website posted it up and literally Hundreds of people have thanked him for knowing, now knowing how to avoid a loss in an options trade. And this is so physically uncomfortable. This is absolutely how and why 90, like in a study in Washington state, they found that 99% of the options traders who trade long options and, and get themselves in high risk positions, lose all their money. And it's, it's because of this, they, in options trading and in, in life in general, your first loss is usually your best loss, and it gets worse from there. So <laughs> the, the point... I think that's funny point, about life in general. <laughs> I'm not sure what that means exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to think about that one. You have to think about it. But in, in general, you know, having hope as a, as a way of approaching a problem is just a really bad idea. It's so much better to have a real structure strategy and a discipline to stay with it. And that's what keeps you doing this for 40 years instead of 40 weeks. Yeah. Is that discipline that says, no, I'm not going to consider hoping that this will fix itself. I'm just gone and I'll take my loss and I'll move on and make it back somewhere else. Um, I think Guy Spear told me once, you know, I love, I love this. I've heard this from other people, but I think, guy just remembered just reminded me and that is you don't have to make it back the way you lost it hmm. and that's an important thing to remember trying to make it back in the company that in the same you company lost it in can be very dangerous why not just go over there and find something that actually is better hmm. you know that, that does have all the qualities you want and you don't miss one major one right so that, I guess that's my little lesson for this. <laughs> for this I, I, I'm glad we podcast. talked about this instead of uh, picking up at economic risk because I think this is much more about the real risk that we all worry about. Like, yeah, we can, and it's very important. I'm not saying it's not to talk about the specific risks in a company, but 
I really think the real risk is ourselves. Our real risk is ourselves. And one of the things that makes Warren Buffett and his students so good at this is this kind of rational discipline, um, not taking an emotional risk and not or trying not to take emotional risk. And um, and no, and you know, Charlie, they say it different kinds of ways, right? One of the ways Charlie says it is we just have been very successful in avoiding investing in things we don't understand. You know, we, we try to know what we don't know. And when you've got an investment where you should have known something and didn't, that that's where you didn't know what you didn't know. Like I didn't know that I didn't know enough about the American government reaction to China. Well, I mean, I, to be fair, like nobody knew that that was a, a strong possibility. I think it was something somebody could have theorized, but that they actually did it. That's this is new. Yeah, it is new. Yeah. Um, but as soon as you started saying I sold this company and lost money, I immediately thought of Buffett at his annual meeting, I want to say like two or three years ago, very recent. And he had just sold and I don't remember the company, but people will, people who follow Berkshire, I'm sure will know there was some company that he had owned very briefly, like under a year, found out something new about it once he owned it and got into the headquarters mm. and mm -hmm. really got on the ground with it. And uh, I was just going to, like, I thought of was the airline, airline one, was the, but the I think it was a different one than the airline right? one. Wasn't but the it? airline one is another great example. It's another one where he did um, found out on hindsight. Yeah. And I just, I, I, it was something that we hadn't really particularly pinpointedly talked about. And so when he said, like, it was obvious, like, it wasn't a big thing to him. It was obvious. I found this out. So I sold it and yeah. he moved on. Yeah. And I just remember sitting there, like listening to him. I was not in the room. This was on the video meeting, whatever. So it must have been fairly recent. I just was so struck by that. Like he was just so, he took the loss. He moved on. He has taken losses so many times over the years and nobody ever talks about them. And because nobody so ever true. talks about them, unless you're a Buffett scholar, you don't know that that happens. <laughs> it's just not said. It's like it's not in his bio that he has multiple times lost small amounts of money on various companies that were mistakes. That's yes. not in his bio. But it has happened. And it doesn't, it doesn't affect what he's done. And so what I took from that like a truck hitting me was as soon as he saw something different, as soon as the story changed, as you say, he took action. He didn't wait around. He didn't hope it out like my instinct would be. Mm -hmm. um, and frankly, if let's say the airline example, if he had held on to those airlines and I don't know where he bought it at, but they're doing better. So maybe he would now be making money on them. So you could say that was a mistake to sell, right? And a lot of people would look at that and just straight up pluses and minuses would say that was a mistake. You should have mm -hmm. held on. You could have made money and then sold it. That's a wonderful example. But he doesn't care because it's not worth the risk and it's not worth 
the effort, mental energy, time that he puts into his ownership of companies. So I think, this is my guess because he really didn't talk about it that much, Um, but I think he just saw that it was not a high quality company or a high quality industry really because it wasn't so much the individual companies mm-hmm. um and he didn't want to be involved in it and <laughs> and he had been saying that for so many years and then changed his mind and then i think had a little bit of like a come to jesus of like oh yeah what i was doing before actually is what i agree with and just moved on mm-hmm. and i find that so impressive it, it is the, and you guys, the advantage of following a master like that, you know, who is, who is following a master himself, right? So Ben Graham to Warren Buffett down the, down, down the, the waterfall of time to us. The advantage of that is you get to see over a long period of time what that strategy and discipline manifests. In, in, yeah, since exactly. we're in a financial world, you get to exactly. see it. It's not like, oh, I hope. Well, I hope this all works out or I can see why he would do that, but I don't know if that's a better idea than something else. Yeah. Well, we're looking at 90 years of this now and <laughs> you can get a pretty good idea in 90 years how this is working out and how it's worked out for thousands of people who have learned to do this from Warren. So I, think I mean, obviously, we're, we're, like he's got to be making the right decisions for that to work out. <laughs> He's yeah, got to be the, sticking the, with the good companies. It's not like it's not like right? as easy as it sounds as we say over and over. It is as easy as it sounds at certain times. At certain times, yeah. Right now it's hard because the market's, market's getting ready to get, I think, really tumbled, but we've thought that for a while. So um, my crystal ball is very, very dull looking. <laughs> I can't see it at all. But in terms of the market, but I know when it's hard to find companies and when it's hard to find easy companies. That's that's the key thing. The easy mm-hmm. companies, the ones that are mm-hmm. just a no-brainer. They're, they come along once in a while, but boy, it's sure nice when the whole market just goes thud. Yeah. I just shut my, my recording off there for a second. No, you're on. Um, I see you. When, you know, when the market just hands you a big pile of wonderful businesses that you've already studied and you've looked at, I, I remember Warren saying in 2008 when um, when Coca-Cola was going down like a brick and people in the audience of his annual meeting were just saying, why didn't you sell it when it was really high? It was obviously really high. And I remember Buffett just saying, we're just not nimble enough to dance in and out of companies like we used to be. He said, if I only had a million dollars to work with, I could be making 50% a year. But having a huge amount of money is a huge detriment to rates of return. And... Um, and he basically said, uh, what we do instead is we just hope Coca-Cola goes down 50% so we can buy more. And we've got our list. We've got the companies we know. It just makes life so much easier if they'll just go down 50% from their value. And then we can snap them up. And that's the absolute essence of rule one investing is to buy these things that you know, wait patiently till they go on sale. Don't do anything. Usually we don't. Not doing anything is usually the right thing. If you're not sure, don't do anything. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's a good one. So on that sobering note of me taking a hit, um, I just want to pass along from Uncle Phil that you guys, <laughs> you guys can learn from that um, a couple of things. Maybe do do better work, 
And number two, uh, when it's time to get out, get out. When the story changes, change the investment. I like it. All right. So we might pick up Google next week. We, we want to kind of not spend 17 months on the same company. So <laughs> let's do something. We'll else. see. <laughs> let's chat about some. Or maybe we'll companies. do we'll do another one of the what did we call them? The Kang companies or something? We the came fangs, up with our own word. The fangs and now they're not No, the but we came anymore. up with a different word because now it's meta. I don't remember. Mangs. <laughs> um and alphabet. Oh, the Moz. That's what it was. Oh, yeah. Moz. Um, but happy Labor Day to everybody yep. in the U.S. And time to go. Play. Happy end of summer. Is that a good thing to say? Probably not. But not yet. yay September. All right. All right. Time to go play. <laughs> See you guys. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information or to listen to additional episodes, visit our website at investedpodcast.com and sign up for my virtual workshop right there. Spots are definitely limited for this event. I'm not kidding. They really are. They sell out very quickly. So everything discussed on this podcast, by the way, is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And I'm really important. It's not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your financial advisor nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So remember that. You're on your own here. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I really hope you enjoyed it. <laughs>